0: All right. well, good morning. It's a privilege I have uh, to be able to open God's Word and and walk through it with you this morning. This morning I would invite you to take your Bibles out if you have them. Uh, We're going to be spending some time in Matthew chapter 6. You can go to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at section 5 to 15. Um, If you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up. Denny's got a stack in the back. He'll put one in your hand. Uh, but I would invite for you, invite you to, to open up your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Last couple of years, historically, as a church, we have spent our um, the first couple of weeks, uh, maybe the last week of the year and the beginning of the first week of the new year, um, focused on prayer, focused on prayer. And um, that's going to be our topic this morning. And so what better place to look um, than the Lord's Prayer, the instruction He gives us on how we should pray. So I'm going to read these words, and then I will pray for us, and we'll jump in and get started. I'm actually going to read um, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You pray for us, Father God, Lord. As we um, consider the words of our Savior this morning, Lord, I pray that you would send us your Spirit. That He would be here. That He would show us your Son and our desperate, desperate need for Him, Father. But I pray that these words um, would guide us. Would direct us, Father, that they would challenge us um, to be a people uh, wholly dependent on you, Father, um, and committed as a result in prayer. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, my kids enjoy playing a game we got a couple years ago called the Sheriff of Nottingham. I don't know if anybody has played this game before, it's a fun game. Um, it does involve a little bit of deception, however, so um, I don't know that it tr- teaches the greatest moral principles, but it's fun, it's all for the sake of the game, right, forget about it. But the basic idea is that you're merchants that are trying to smuggle in contraband um, to the market, and you have to get past this, this sheriff who, who will call you out, right. He will, if, he, if he thinks that you're lying, that you don't have what you say you have in your cart, Call you out in it, okay? And so it's a fun game. It's a fun game, but it, it actually reflects um, to some degree how the ancient world worked, okay? The ancient world, where the market was concerned, uh, merchants would use wax. They would use wax to cover up imperfections, cracks, especially in things like pottery. These things that they would sell at The market, so they would cover up the cracks in a in a vase or a a glass dish or something like that with wax. Okay, and as a result, um, merchants who were selling the real deal, right, genuine, 100% real, unstained, unblemished pottery, they would hold a sign over their stand, and the sign would read sine sire, sine sire, without. Wax. It's where we get our word sincere from. Genuine, real, sine sire, without wax. So that folks, as they were walking through, navigating the market, and they wanted to get the real deal, a piece of pottery with no wax, the real, genuine thing, they would look for that sign, sine sire. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, the section that we find, what hopefully for many of us is a very familiar passage, is a passage where Jesus is in pursuit, much like a person navigating the market looking for the real thing, Jesus is in pursuit of sincere faith. Sincere faith. And he talks specifically about three practices, three disciplines that are vital to the life of faith that can oftentimes be covered up with things like wax, okay, to give the impression of sincere faith. So he talks in the first section about giving and how what is the motivation, what is the genuine faith, how does it lead us to give and what motivates us, why we give. And at the end of the section, he talks specifically about fasting and and somebody who is sincere in their faith, what does that look like when they fast? And in this section, Jesus, again, in pursuit of genuine faith, shows us how oftentimes where our prayer life is concerned, just like those shady merchants, we can try to take some wax, cover up it, use it to cover up our life to give the impression, the impression of genuine faith when in fact, it's just a fake. Jesus is after genuine, sincere faith. And and really what I want to show you this morning, what I think this text reveals to us is that if you are sincere in your faith, you will be serious about prayer. For the person who is sincere in their faith, they will be serious about prayer. Now, there, there is a problem. There's, there's a bit of a problem and, uh, where prayer is concerned. In fact, many of us who are maybe trying to live this Christian life would probably identify, if you're like me, with the problem that prayer may present. Right? Prayer is not always super easy. My, my guess, I would just assume that if you were to look back in 2018, right... My guess is most of us here in this room probably would say, you know, 2018 was not a year that I just absolutely killed it in prayer, right? If we were to look back at our year as we consider 2019 the year ahead of us, odds are my my hope would be that every one of us would say this is an area that we should desire to grow in, right? And, And prayer can be a struggle, I'm the first one to admit it. Prayer can be difficult. We'll sit down, maybe we'll commit a few times to prayer throughout the week. And after you know, we'll pray through the president, we'll pray for the president, pray for the government, pray for our kids, right? And then after about two minutes, our mind begins to wander and to drift, and we become distracted, and before you know it, um, we are. Playing Candy Crush on her phone. I don't know. Is that what they play nowadays? I'm not totally sure. But we got the phone out and we're completely (coughs) distracted. There are a lot of significant challenges that stand in our way that keep us from being a praying people. Again, in the pursuit of sincere faith, we want to be committed to prayer. But there's barriers. There are challenges that make that difficult. The first is that our age, just consider the times that we live, right? This is an age of distraction, an age of distraction. I don't know um, if many of you can relate, but really up about 10 years ago, there was this thing that I would experience from time to time. It just seems like a distant memory, but this thing called boredom. Do you guys remember that? When you could actually have nothing to do and you would ask yourself, wondering, what should I do now? What should I do with my time, right? Well, I, I mean, boredom simply doesn't exist anymore, right? I mean, we have just basically a cyborg appendage that's connected to us at all times, demanding our attention, right? And the people who are developing your phone, the thing that sits in your pocket, maybe in your hand right now, put billions and billions and billions of dollars into making sure two things happen. One, that thing demands your attention, and two, you become addicted to it, all right? That's their goal. So although you may think you own your phone, for many of us, the opposite is the truth. It owns us, right? And it's Netflix, whether it's YouTube, and the endless videos of cute kittens, right, that are just waiting for us to watch, right? The season just ends, and all of a sudden Netflix, it's like, okay, I stayed up late watching that season, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, We'll just watch another season, right? You know, like it's all there. Like standing in line is, is sometimes fun. Like I enjoy waiting because I can read, I can listen, I can explore the interwebs, all right? Like we are continually distracted. Our attention, our attention is become something that other people use to make money. They want your attention, right? We live in an age of distraction, The other challenge, I think, where prayer is concerned, specifically in our day and age today, is that it's not just an age of distraction, it's also an age of unprecedented wealth, especially in the Western world, right? And so we live in this false sense, as a result of the wealth and the economy that is here, we live in a false sense of security, Okay? We have money at our disposal. many of us do. We spend that on entertainment and on leisure as we wish. Security there's always there's whether it's a retirement fund, okay whether it's the government in times things in case things get difficult. there are resources, there are safety nets all around us because we live in an age of unprecedented wealth. So the very thought that you need to reach outside of yourself to get help by somebody often keeps us from doing just that. It keeps us, it makes, we live in this illusion that we can be completely independent and it will be okay. It's an age of distraction, but it's also an age of unprecedented wealth. It makes it difficult for us to actually take our needs to God, okay? It makes it difficult. And a lot of times the reason why maybe some of us may be wealthy or may have money in the future even that we're walking into is because we have ability. We have gifts, we have skills, We can contribute. We can work. So when there's a problem, our response, if you're like me, is to quick work and do. Make things better. Fix the problem. Not take it to God. So it's an age of distraction. It's an age of unprecedented wealth. But it's also an age of secularization. It's an age of secularization as well. So many of us are uncertain if God exists. And as a result, if we don't know that God exists, we certainly don't think that he cares anything about what we would have to say to him. And that he would do anything for us. Right? The idea that, that in our culture, that church and prayer and God and faith is something that's natural to life, that's a not so distant relic of the past. All right. There's an article I read just recently in The Atlantic was talking about the millennials and kind of talking about how they can be accused of killing many things in our culture, namely napkins. Apparently millennials don't use many napkins. They go to paper towels. Canned tuna. Slade canned tuna. No more, right? The McRap. Did you know the McRap? Many are accusing the millennials of eliminating the McRap from the McDonald's menu. Millennials are at fault for it, right? Well, of the many things that potentially, whether or not it's a minute, the minute, golf is another one, department stores is another one, just victim after victim after victim, right? <laughs> it's terrible. It's devastating, okay? But one of the many things that millennials, is this, the concept of the nuns, right? That in the last 30 years, those who do not affiliate with the religion has quadrupled among those in the ages of, between the ages of 18 and 29, right? And so the idea that faith is, you know, this is not, this is a post-Christian world that we live in. It's a post-Christian world that we live in. And as a result, like, it's not a part of just the air that we breathe. Faith is not around us. It's a secularized age. And so there are significant challenges as a result that keep us from being a praying people, whether we're distracted, whether we think we can do it on our own, or whether we just don't believe. But Jesus says, Jesus says, in his pursuit of a sincere faith, and my hope would be that all of us around here, this is also an age of authenticity, right? And it's not, that is not a novel idea. But it is a noble one. It's a noble one. Jesus is in pursuit of a sincere faith. And if you want to lay hold to a sincere faith, a real, authentic, true faith, Jesus tells us, we should be a people of prayer regardless of the distractions around us fight through those distractions it's one of the reasons why I really recommend bringing your Bible bringing your Bible to church and if you're like me if I'm if I'm reading the Bible on my phone my my attention is given to a device to to God's word on his device it is God's word but it's also there among many other apps the potential to just double click and swing over and close this one and open up this one. is there. That's so why I believe in the codex. Like, bring a Bible. Use a Bible. It's God's word. It's a powerful thing. So we can fight against distraction. So, all that being said, this morning, if in our pursuit of being... Real people want to show us three quick things. And we're going to actually practice this in a few minutes. Um, first, I want to show you just basically the definition of prayer. What is prayer? Okay. Um, and secondly, after we walk talk about the definition of prayer, we're going to spend some time talking about the formation through prayer, how we can become formed through prayer. And then finally, um, we're going to talk about the pattern of prayer. So first up is the definition. What is prayer, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did, Wayne. I'll tell you real quick. Prayer is, and I bet you're not going to see this one coming, talking with God. Did you see that one Greg? No? Caught you off guard. I thought I might. Talking with God. Simple definition. What is prayer? It's talking with God. Paul Miller says this. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Prayer is the means by which we experience and connect to the almighty God. It's an awesome thing that God gives us the opportunity. He desires for us to come into communion and fellowship with him. It's what we do when we pray. Two quick notes about prayer. Prayer is our native language. It's our native language. God has made us, we learn in Genesis, in his image. When you think about the Garden of Eden, the picture you should think of is, is man before the fall of sin. That man, woman, walking in communion and fellowship with God. A relationship unobstructed. Okay. That's what the Garden of Eden is. We know that sin comes in and separates us. Prayer is an attempt to get back to that in prayer. okay? A relationship unobstructed by sin. That's what we were designed for. Prayer is entering into the very presence of God. It is our native language. It is the recognition that things are not the way that they are supposed to be inside my heart, outside in the world. And as a result, I enter in to prayer. This truth drives us to our knees. And it is when we are on our knees that we are as we should be. Robert Murray McShane says this, when a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. That's who you are. In his essay on the misuse of prayer, an interesting title, Martin Luther King Jr. says this, Prayer is as natural to the human organism as the rising of the sun is to the cosmic order. Prayer is indigenous to the human spirit. It represents a throbbing desire of the human heart. Prayer, folks, is our native tongue. Secondly, prayer is not the goal. It's important to remember, as much as we may, my my hope and my prayer is that we would become a people of prayer in 2019, that we would grow in this area. We have to remember prayer is not the goal, right? It is not the goal. It is the means to an end, not the end itself. The goal of praying is not to get really good at praying Even as I consider it personally or corporately for us as a church, the idea of us being committed to prayer is not for the sake of being committed to prayer. It's for the sake of being godly. That's what it's for. Being with God, transformed by God. Godliness is the goal of prayer, not prayer itself. John Murray, the Scottish theologian, says communion with God is the crown and the apex of true faith. As a result, prayer is hands down, if this is true, prayer is hands down the most important thing you will do in 2019. We're going to have a few minutes dedicated here at the end of the service. I would encourage you to take advantage of those moments because they are incredibly, incredibly important. It's the medium by which we experience and connect with God. Next thing I want to say about prayer is that talks a bit about the definition. Secondly, is the formation that happens through prayer. Formation through prayer. We prayer. We are creatures formed by habit, by rhythm, by routine, by repetition. Repetition. These habits, in many ways, they make us who we are. So as you look back at your life and you think of how did I get to where I am today, there's a good chance it has a lot to do with the habits that you developed as a person, as a child. As a young man, a young woman, as an adult, as a father, as a mother, as a grandparent. Many of those habits, those practices, those routines has formed you into who you are today. Uh, Over the break, I love to watch movies that I I watched growing up. I love to force my kids to sit on the couch and watch this movie. Daddy liked it. You're going to like it too, right? Usually it works. Sometimes it's... Not so much, okay? But over break we watched Searching for Bobby Fischer. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that movie, but it's a great, it's a great movie. Uh, I think it was made in the 90s. But uh, basically the idea is it follows, it's a true story based on Josh Waitskin. And Josh Waiteskin, um, as a young boy, used to walk with his mom through uh, the park in New York City, somewhere in New York City. And he would always see these men playing chess. Right? And as he would walk, he would be captivated by them playing chess. The parents didn't teach him chess necessarily. They didn't value chess in the home. But he would watch and he would walk. And within a short time, he sat down and he began to play chess with some guys. And the guys eventually recognized, wow, this, this boy has a gift. He has a gift, and, and soon he, he was apprenticed by the same person who, who taught Bobby Fisher and, um, and became, he was, he was a child prodigy within like a year, was a national champion. He was like seven, eight years old, something like that. Just a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of skill. He was a prodigy, and if you think of like, you know, stories of prodigies, they capture our attention. People who just naturally have this, this unique ability and gift, and the reason they capture our attention is because they're so exceptional. They're so exceptional. The the normal process by which you get good at something or become something is you you practice it. You repeat it. You have habits that are present in your life that you do day in and day out. That's the normal process. We are creatures who are created by habits. And in this prayer, as you look through this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it's the very form and the structure when it's repeated over and over and over again, has the shaping, the ability to shape your life. Eugene Peterson says, prayer, it's a subversive activity. It involves a more or less open act of defiance against any claim by the current regime. So as we consider the age that we're living, the shaping influences that we're bombarded with day in and day out, Folks, we need to develop some habits, some patterns of our own that push back against those shaping influences, the current regime. How specifically does prayer, the Lord's Prayer, form us? Well, our prayer gives shape to what we believe, okay? This can be said about much of the Christian does by way of spiritual disciplines, corporate worship even. Um, When we gather together on a Sunday morning, the structure, the flow of our worship gathering is designed to help shape our beliefs but it's uniquely true about prayer the ancient church summed up this concept with the latin phrase lex orandi lex credendi which simply means so we pray so we believe right if you consider the prayer of a child i love sometimes listening to children play. I don't know if you've had the chance, the opportunity to listen to children pray before, but here at school when we have chapel in the morning, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, you, you listen to kids pray and, you know, praying for a good recess and, you know, that I would get a good grade and maybe that we wouldn't have this for lunch but that we would have this instead. It's fun to watch kids pray. Clearly there's much to be learned about prayer f- f- for those kids, but there's also much to be learned about prayer by those Kids Often they're very simple and beautiful, their prayers are. This reflects a simple yet beautiful fact that they believe there's a God, that he is a good God, and that he can do what they ask. Those three things, right? For example, dear God, they believe believe there's a God. Thank you for this food. God's good. He's provided food. Dear God, thank you for this food. Help it taste good. Right? Do your thing, God, like a miracle right now. I'm looking at this plate, this sandwich. Do your thing, God. Help it taste good. Right? They believe there's a God, that he's good, and he can do what they ask. And that belief, it manifests itself in prayer. And the same can happen otherwise. Reverse. We we pray a certain structure to solidify specific beliefs that help shape us. The first step toward God is a step away from the lies of this world. So as we desire to shape our beliefs and to form who we are as people, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, right? And as we consider the prayer, as we consider the prayer, many of you probably, hopefully, have it memorized. And if you don't, there's a card on here that has the prayer just spelled out, and I would invite you to memorize that thing, okay? This past week, just as I have been preparing and and reading this passage, like, I just cannot even tell you the moments when I'm not talking or when I'm not intaking my thought life has been filled with this prayer. And the effect just personally for me has been really, really powerful, really, really dynamic. It's a prayer that Jesus gives us and he, his, his, his intent is that this prayer would shape our understanding of who God is. And in return, it would shape our lives. It would shape our lives so it gives us this prayer. It's got a pattern. Hopefully, as we look just at just the third point here real quick, you'll look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer. So I'll break it down in basically two things. The first part that comes to mind right away is the orientation. We see the prayer shows us it orients us. There's an orientation and there's also petitions, right? And so the orientation, as you read through the prayer, the structure clearly emerges. The prayer itself could be seen as a series of petitions, you know that follow this orienting effect and so the first thing that we'll just point out real quick is the prayer starts out our father our father first words and, and I'll just just be honest as I initially thought about preparing this message my hope was just to go line by line through the prayer right but the truth is for me um, I could not get past our father in heaven for me, like literally all week long, I would start praying the prayer, and that line, our Father in heaven, like just rocked my world. Rocked my world. Our Father in heaven. As we pray to our Father, we are reminded that God is our Father. He is good The the idea here for this to be a revolutionary prayer for you is to believe that God is our father and he has good intentions for you. Right? And to take God at his word for that. That he is our father and he has good intentions for us. This, This truth orients puts us in a proper relationship with God. The idea that God sent his son so that you and I can become his adopted sons. Romans 8, 17 says, and if children, if we are his sons and daughters, then then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are God's adopted children because of what Christ, the only begotten son, did for us so that we could take a place in the family room of God the Most High. Now for many of us, I'll just pause, for many of us the concept of Father is a difficult concept as we think about talking about who God is to get our minds around, right? For, for many of us there may be Father wounds that lie deep in our hearts and in our past. Our earth, earthly father may, as you think about your earthly father, may have been someone who you, you would not and you could not even approach. Potentially. For, for many of us, the relationship of our earthly father can, can be seen as a barrier to viewing God as our father. Maybe our relationship is marked by maybe abuse or abandonment or absence. And it can be difficult. Talking about God as a father can be difficult for us. But what I want to ask you to do, and I recognize that, and God knows that. God knows that. What I want to ask you to do is to not give up on that journey. It may be painful to be able to call God your father. It may be difficult. But what I can guarantee you, folks, is it absolutely will be worth it. It will be worth the journey. For for all of us, for all of us, we have the opportunity to call God our father. And he is a loving God who intends good for you. It's an amazing thing in John 17 when Jesus prays the high priestly prayer. Six times in that passage he calls out to God his father. God his father. Over and over and over again. God is loving and has good intentions towards us. Where is God? God is in heaven. It it reminds us that God is apart from us. right? He is apart from us. God exists apart from the created universe before space and time were created. God simply was and he still is. He he exists completely apart from any geographic location. It's described repeatedly in the Bible as God being exalted above the heavens, right? So he is apart from us. He He is distant from us. He is mighty. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? But at the exact same time, he's also here with us now. He's as far from you as he can be, and he's as close to you as he can be simultaneously. It's an amazing thing. That God our Father is in heaven. He wants us to come and talk to him. He's he's intimately involved in the workings of his creation, right? He's our Father, He's in heaven. And then as the the prayer goes on, there's a series of petitions. There's a series of petitions that, that God shows us. Jesus tells us, We I want you to ask things, right? So for some of us, it's important that we get these two things. In proper place orientation first petition second right many of us when we enter into prayer it's flipped around the other way right we come to him instantly with all these wants and desires wishes demands maybe even if you will right do this can I have this I want this and many of those can be good things that's okay but Jesus tells us start out first right the whole first even the first three petitions are focused on God's glory Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first three things that we should be asking of God revolve around his glory. The second three things revolve around our need, right? So when we start with prayer, we start with God, reminding ourselves of who he is. And then, here's the great thing, right? That God gives us this mechanism as we look at the world outside... As we look at our heart, even in our lives, and we come to the conclusion, things are not as they should be. The amazing thing about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus tells us there's something you can do about it. There there is something you can do about it. Things are broken. You don't have to look very far to realize that, right? Right? And oftentimes, if you're like me, as you think about the big picture of everything in this world that is not going as it should be, you can feel hopeless, helpless. What can I do? Jesus is saying, you can do something. Now, here's the deal. What we can do is different than what we see most people doing around us, right? For most of us, if you're like me again, right? You think about things are broken. They're not as they should be. What can I do about it? Our options, my options, a lot of times tend to be I can complain about it. Right? I can complain about it, right? Maybe I can protest. Get a mob together, get some science together. This ain't right. It's broke. Fix it. Right? We can protest. Maybe there's a time and place for that. Or another popular one this day is we can comment. Comment. Right? Just comment. Duh, 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 duh. Comment. That's what I'm going to do about it. Oftentimes, when you participate in those activities, complain, protest, comment, or maybe for some of us, it's just work like I'm going to do 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 do. What Jesus tells us is the thing you should do first and most is fall to your knees. You have direct access to the one and only who can do anything you ask. He can do anything you ask. I'll just give you a quick example. Now, this is not, you know, Dave was here last week and talked about the power of prayer and shared story after story after story where God worked supernaturally through prayer, okay? And I have seen moments where God has done that. Um, But, you know, sometimes I wish I saw more. Anybody else hear me on that? Okay, a couple months ago, We took kids to camp. I'll just share this one real quick. I don't think I've shared this one here before. But we took kids to camp. And um, if those of you know Faith Academy, we do our own transportation with buses and vans and things like that. And went to pick up, this was over the summer, went to pick up this van, a rental van, because none of our vehicles were quite good enough to get kids to and from camp. Picked up a rental vehicle. And uh, was driving back from rent- from this budget place in Cedar Rapids, Dee I think did you go with me to help pick one up as well? We got in these vans, and our first impression was, "Oh my goodness, 2018, beautiful 15 passenger van. It was safe. It had an aux cord. Hallelujah, praise Jesus for the aux cord, right? Um, it was an awesome van. It was beautiful. And as I'm driving back from Cedar Rapids, I, like I just pray God, and it was the most one of the most specific prayers I've prayed. Can you please help somebody just give us? A 2018 Ford, what's it called? Express, I think. Passenger van. Is that what it's called? No. Something. It's called something, all right? I I prayed whatever it was called. I knew it at the time. That's what matters, right? And I prayed it. Dee was talking to Dee afterwards. Like, we were both talking about how awesome this, this vehicle would be. Less than a week, less than a week later, I got an email telling me that I needed to call somebody. From somebody here at the school. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that's about, so whatever. So I call the individual. The individual says hey, you know, I've heard that you guys really need a van. Um, Is there any way I could help? And I was kind of like, oh, my goodness, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. Like, I was already tripping out about God's, like, immediate answer to this prayer, right? Like, after all the, you know, kind of, Logistics get taken care of. You know, I didn't even ask what is the vehicle. Um, but two weeks later, find out like when the vehicle like, basically rolls up in our lot, it's exactly the vehicle, exactly the vehicle I had prayed for. The year, the make, and the model. Even the color. I didn't pray for the color, but I was in the exact same vehicle praying. It was ridiculous, right? Do we believe God actually hears us, is good, has good intentions for us, and is capable and able of doing what we ask? If we did that, I guarantee we would be less complaining, less commenting. There would be less stress and anxiety. Right? This is a he gives us this tool to do his work and not to put a burden on us that it's up to us that we just have to work harder, do more, right? God asks us to pray. He tells us to pray. He gives us a prayer. He shows us this is what I want you to do. All right? So, what I'm going to do right now is stop. I, I still have like two more pages, but I'm just going to stop. Right. What I want you to do, many of you are like maybe God just answered your prayer. I don't know. Maybe that was something in <laughs> your prayer. Just saying. It's possible. It's very possible. Um, and what I want to do is I, wanna, I want us to just get busy with prayer right now. I put a card on your chair, and the card just has the Lord's Prayer. And what I, I want to just recommend is as you pray the Lord's Prayer, a temptation, because we can be really familiar, many of you can be really familiar with this prayer. Um, what you can do is you can just recite the prayer. I don't think Jesus, he, yes, he gave it to us that we should memorize it, we should be able to recite it, okay? But I think he gave it to us, not primarily so we would recite it, but so we would pray it, okay? Now that seems obvious, but it's different, These words on this paper that Jesus gave us, told us to do, you should pray them. So as you pray each line, what I would challenge you to do is linger over that line. Like you much would a glass of fine soda. Okay. (laughs) Um, What were you? No, you weren't thinking something. Wine? No, okay. But linger over it. Linger over it and let those words become your words and let them lead you. Let them lead you. Our God, our Father, God, you are my Father. You are my Father. It's hard for me to believe that or to know what that means, but I thank you that I can call you Father. And that as I talk to you, God, you're listening to me right now. You are my Father. You're in heaven, God. You can do whatever I ask. You have all the power in the world. You've created all of this, Father. You are are far from me. I thank you that you are here right now listening to me. Right? Linger over each line. These words become your words. On the back of that card is uh, just something that I think Paul Miller maybe had this. uh, It's just uh, a challenge to write a name and just some bullets underneath that name of things you can be praying for for that person. So I want you to think of somebody. You don't have to do this right now. There's a stack of these prayer cards. I would challenge you to maybe take a half a dozen with them on your way out this morning right? And and carry these with you throughout the week. Stick them in your Bible, on your desk, in your car, wherever it is. Uh, put somebody's name, and as you think about that person, what is it specifically that you can be praying for that person for? Okay, so it could be a family member, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, uh, maybe somebody who's really struggling right now. Um, whatever the case is, um, name, and then things that you can be praying for. And we're going to give you a few minutes now, uh, and then following this time of prayer. And I'll, I'll tell you real quick, I mean, Yes, there are words involved with praying, but praying to a great deal is also um, done well in silence, okay? So, for many of us, silence is awkward. It's uncomfortable, but it's okay. So you just practice it a little bit, all right? It's okay. So silence, we'll do it for a few minutes, and then um, these guys are going to continue on um, just in worship. So. The other thing I will say just real quick, um, just in terms of application, what I would challenge you to do is is we're going to do this now for a few minutes. And then my challenge would be if you could commit to praying the Lord's Prayer, much like we're going to do here in the next couple of minutes, once, at least once a day, just for the rest of the week. Commit to doing that. Uh, And my guess is, my my hope and prayer is that um, God will show us after we do this that it is worth, there's nothing, no better way to spend your time than on your knees um, crying out to Jesus. So let's do that for a few minutes.